you like good news, right? We all like good news. Of course we do. But there's a problem with good news. It doesn't make much money. Good news doesn't sell very well. In fact, I think that's why we've gotten into this situation that we're in today. Because as you watch the news, as you look on news websites, it seems like it's just full of bad news. All they want to tell you is about how you're going to die tomorrow and everything's going wrong and the world is ending. And that's because that's how they make money. That gets more clicks. More people go back to the news website when there's bad things going on. And so they can have more advertisers and they can make more money off of that. And so they're really, they're really focused on bad news because bad news is what sells. I remember when we first moved up to Vancouver here, uh, I was a young teenager, and so I, I didn't really notice this, but I remember my parents talking about it, that when they would watch the news, it just felt like the only thing they ever had to say about Vancouver was bad stuff. It was the only news that ever made it from Vancouver was, was bad, crime, that kind of stuff. And we actually, like, you talk to people from Portland, and you tell them you're from Vancouver, they're like, oh, yeah, it's pretty rough up there, isn't it? There's a lot of crime and stuff. And you're kind of feeling like, what? Like, no, I would much rather live in Vancouver than in Portland. It's much better up here. And what we find out is that, well, all of the news stations are in Portland, and so they report Portland news, and the only time that Vancouver makes it up high enough to get on the Portland news is if we've done something bad. And so it can, we get that, you know, it's, it's out of context. It doesn't look, look good. But it, but it reminds us of that idea that bad news is what sells. But I've got good news for you this morning. See, luckily for you, I'm not here to make money this morning. And so I have good news, really, really good news for all of us here this morning. And it's good news for us, but it was also good news for a group of shepherds 2,000 years ago. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. And our focus is going to be in verses 8 through 20, but I want to start at the beginning. I want to go through some of that stuff right at the beginning to help us understand what God is doing, that he's working and he's speaking. So let's read verses 1 through 5 of Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. God is working. There are so many things right, right here that God is pulling together. So many different things going on, and God is pulling it all together. From kings to peasants, from taxes to babies, God is transcendent. He is overseeing all of it. For that night to happen, so many things had to come together. Number one, we see that this child must be born in Bethlehem. Micah tells us that. The ruler will come from Bethlehem. So the child needs to come from Bethlehem, but there's also this thing about him coming from Galilee. He needs to come from Galilee, but he's born in Bethlehem. How's God going to work this out? Well, he's chosen this young woman who lives in Galilee. She lives in Nazareth, and she's the one that's going to bear this son. But how is God going to get her all the way down to Bethlehem to have the baby? Well, he has the emperor of the world issue a census. They need to make sure they're getting the tax money, and so they issue this census. Everyone needs to go back to their hometown to be registered. And it just so happens that this young woman's fiancé, well, his family is from Bethlehem. 
And it just so happens that they go back to be registered at the same time that she gives birth. And this child from Galilee is born in Bethlehem. This is not a coincidence. This is not random. God is at work. He is bringing these things together. And what happens next? Verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. This child is born. And we talked about this last week, about how this miraculous conception shows us that Jesus is God. But then this ordinary birth shows us that he is human. This, this Jesus, this child is fully God, fully man, and he's come down to be with us. God is at work. He's bringing these unlikely situations together. Because not only that, the first people, as we're going to find out today, the first people that he tells, they're, they're the shepherds. He's working through kings, but he's also working through the lowliest people in, in that area. These shepherds watching over the flock. These shepherds from Bethlehem. Does that ring a bell at all? Have you ever heard of, of a shepherd that lived in Bethlehem before this? And then one day, he's anointed as the next king of Israel, David, King David. And is there some relation here? Is he, is he related to these shepherds from Bethlehem? We don't know, but we see the connection. All throughout the Bible, there's this theme that God uses the unlikely, the lowly, and he lifts them up and he uses them for his great work. So God, he's working here. Even even that sign that we talked about last week, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. At first it was given to King Ahaz and he rejected it. And now it's given to these shepherds. We see that God is working. God works through his speaking. We see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. God speaks these things into being. Let's read verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I want you to imagine you're one of these shepherds. You're out in the field. It's dark. It's nighttime. You're doing your regular job that you do every day. You're, you're herding the sheep. You're taking care of them. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this person appears before you. And then the glory of the Lord shines around you. And, and what does that even mean? We often connect this to this bright, brilliant light that's shining. This person you've never seen before. The glory of the Lord around you. And what do you do? What happens? You're frightened. You have fear. And, and that makes sense, being shocked by this. This is not a normal night herding sheep. This has never happened to you before. And what's the first thing he says to you? Fear not. We see that actually fear seems to be the typical response that angels get when they show up. 
because most of the time, the first thing that they say is, don't be afraid, fear not. And so we can understand that, okay, these guys are a little bit scary for some reason, or at least shocking, so they need to say fear not, but there's something more even going on here than just that. Remember what we talked about earlier, bad news, that's what sells. Fear is what sells. This is a very countercultural way to begin some giving news to somebody, fear not. We don't hear that today. What you hear on the news today typically is, be afraid, be very afraid. Everyone is dying. The world is ending. Everything is falling apart. And yet, what does this angel say? Don't be afraid. Why don't they have to be afraid? Well, look at the next part of the message. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of great joy for all the people. That sounds pretty good, right? Good news of great joy. And there's, there's something going on here. You've probably heard that phrase before, good news. I mean, besides the fact that I've said it 70 times already today. <clears throat> but even before this in the Bible, we've heard this phrase, good news. It's, it's the, the word that we say, gospel. Gospel means good news. And this isn't the first time we've heard it. In fact, you hear it in the Old Testament. And when it's said in the Old Testament, it's not just ordinary good news. This is a royal proclamation. This is a, an announcement about the king. This is like the, the king has won the battle. Good news, the king has won the battle. Good news, the king is alive. Or, or good news, a new king is born. This is the kind of announcement that would come when an emperor's son was born. It's, it's good news. In fact, we read in Isaiah that it says this, this strange phrase, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Now, we don't know much about this angel here, but we can be sure that he had beautiful feet because the news that he is bringing is, is so good, good news of great joy. And I was trying to think this week, okay, how can we compare this today? What kind of news would, would be for us today that would be on the same level as this good news. And it was hard because most of the time when we think of good news, we think pretty individualistic. You know, even as you heard the kids today, um, you know, ice cream for lunch, those kinds of things. That's what we're thinking of for, that would be good news to us. Things like, good news, you got the job promotion. Or, good news, your wife is pregnant. Or, good news, we're going to Disneyland. How does that sound? <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of good news we're thinking of, but the problem is that's, that's not the good news that we're talking about here. That's so individualistic. This is on such a much bigger global scale. This would be more along the lines of good news. We have found a cure for all kinds of cancer. This would be like good news. All diseases have been eradicated. Or good news. The war is over. I was thinking about that one this morning because I think for most of us in our lifetime, there hasn't been a definitive day where a war was over. But I think back to like World War II and you could, you think about the, the newspaper headline, the war is over and, and what that would mean for people reading that. Finally, this war that we've been fighting, it's over. That's good news. And as I thought about all three of those examples, I thought how much they connect the birth of this child. This is good news. And, and we haven't even gotten to the message yet. We're still just setting up the message. But the message comes in the next verse, in verse 11. And we're going to spend some time in this because this is so packed with meaning. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Like I said, this is, this is packed full of meaning here. If you have a Bible that has cross-references, you'll, you'll notice that like every other word, there's a, there's a little letter in between it telling you that it connects to somewhere else in the Bible. There's just so much going on here. So I want to walk through that. I want to spend some time in this verse because of what it means for us. The first phrase here, for unto you is born. Does, that, does it make you think of anything? Isaiah 9, 6 Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And so you're thinking about all the things that Isaiah 9 has to say about that child that will be born, that is born. The next phrase there, unto you is born this day. Today. This is Luke's way of of showing a promise that's been waited for by faith. It's, it's a promise that's been anticipated as coming sometime, and now it's here. Today, it's here. You think about Saturday morning, you get to wake up and tell your kids, today is Christmas. What you've been waiting for for so long, today it has come. And that's what's going on here today. This very day, this child is born. You've been waiting for so many years. Today is the day. For unto us For unto you is born this day, where? In the city of David. We've seen how this connects already. Bethlehem, this child will be born in Bethlehem. These shepherds are just outside of Bethlehem. That's where the child was born. So, so far we've seen the what. What's going on? A child is born. When? This very day, today, and and where? In the city of David. And yet we're not even to the really good part yet. Who is this child? The next three things we see are three titles that are given to Jesus, that tell us who this newborn baby really is. Savior, Christ, and the Lord. Let's unpack each one of those because they're so rich with understanding. The first one, Savior. He's He's going to be a Savior. Now, think about what this meant to those shepherds back then. They were looking for a Savior. This would resonate with them. This would be good news. They were born under Roman occupation. They were looking for someone to save them, and now he is here. He has been born. But this is also good news for us today. And I think sometimes that word Savior, it's, it's a great word, but it gets used so much we forget what it really means. It's one of those Christianese kind of words that gets thrown around all the time. So sometimes I like to mix it up and use a different word like rescuer. He is our rescuer. And as I think about that, the the picture that paints in my mind is is me drowning in the ocean. And and the storm is all around me. the, The waves are raging. And somebody throws me a life buoy and rescues me from that storm. The name that will be given to this newborn baby Joseph has already been told what to name him. Call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's the rescuer, the savior. But his saving is so much bigger than even what these shepherds think. They're thinking of someone to rescue them from their current circumstances with Rome, the difficulties there. But what he's actually going to do, as as is said to Joseph, he's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to rescue us from the root of all of those problems, from the main big issue that has caused all of the suffering and war and oppression in the world, sin. So the first thing we learn about this newborn baby is he's going to be a rescuer. He's going to be a savior. What's the next word there? Christ. 
This is another one of those words that can be kind of, you know, you, you forget what it means. And, and nobody raised their hand, but how many of you at one point in your life have thought that Christ was just Jesus' last name? Right? There's, there's plenty of people who thought that Christ was just his last name, but it's not. Christ is actually a title. And it goes back to the Old Testament, to Hebrew. It was the word Messiah. You've probably heard that before, Messiah. And then in Greek, it was translated as the Greek word Christos. And we didn't have a word for it in English, so we just transliterated it into Christ. But what does it mean? Well, it means anointed one. Now, that might not help you out very much. What do you mean, anointed one? But I just want you to think. Mentioned earlier, that young shepherd boy from Bethlehem is called to go back to his house. And he walks in, and his whole family's there, and this old guy with a jar of oil. And he pours it on his head and declares him as the next king of Israel. This anointing, what it means is is the chosen king. It has royal implications here. This newborn child, he will be a rescuer, but he's also the chosen king. That's what Christ means. We get to this last phrase, the Lord. You might know what Lord means, master, person in charge. You've heard of lords and ladies in England. Most often in the Bible, though, Lord refers to to the highest one in charge, to the ultimate master, to God. Most of the time in the Bible, the Lord refers to God himself. What does this tell us about this newborn child? He is the rescuing, chosen king over all kings, the God over all of the earth. And that is good news. Can you imagine? That is, that is this child that is being born. And how great is that news? It's good news for us, but it's not good news for everybody. It should be. It should be good news for everybody. But it isn't. I heard something this year that I have never heard before, at least not from a Christian. The idea that Christmas is offensive. I've heard that from other people, but I've never heard that from a Christian before. And I had to think about it a little bit, and I realized that it's true. In fact, I I put a trigger warning in the title of this message because what I'm preaching here today is offensive. And that's okay. Because Christmas is offensive. In fact, Christmas was so offensive that Herod, in response to hearing this message about this Savior being born, goes out and murders every baby boy under two years old. That's how offended he was by the message of Christmas. And it's because it's connected to the cross. Well, for him, it was connected to the throne, right? Christmas was a claim on, on the throne, a claim on the throne that he held at that time, although actually it was a much bigger throne that was really being held. Christmas is connected to the cross, and the cross is offensive. Next time you wear that necklace with your cross on it, right, the, the tattoo of a cross that I have on my shoulder here, it's offensive, and not just because it's a tattoo. It's offensive because of what it represents. What does the cross represent? It represents really good news, but before you get to that good news... The cross tells us that we're sinners, that we're no good, dirty, rotten sinners. There is none who do good. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I can tell you right now that that is not a popular message. People don't want to hear that. That is offensive to people. 
They don't want to be told that they're wrong. They don't want to be told that they're messed up, that they have problems, that they have sinned against a holy God. People don't want to hear that. And Christmas is tied to the cross. Because Christmas is, is making a claim that there is a chosen king over all kings and rulers and presidents who is rescuing the world. It's making a claim that disagrees with every religion and non-religion out there. Christmas is offensive. And so you shouldn't be offended or surprised when people don't want to put a Christmas tree in a courthouse. You shouldn't be offended or surprised when businesses don't let their employees say Merry Christmas. They have to say Happy Holidays instead. We should understand where that's coming from. We shouldn't be offended by it because if we water down Christmas so much that it doesn't mean anything anymore, then we've missed the point. We want Christmas to be offensive, and that's okay, as long as it's offensive because of Jesus and not because we're jerks. Christmas is offensive, but it's also the greatest news in the world that everybody needs to hear. It is the greatest news that everybody needs to hear, so don't worry about being offensive this year. Be offensive. Say Merry Christmas to people because it is the greatest news that we've ever heard. So that's what this message of good news is. It's the message that this child that has been born is the the rescuing chosen king over all kings. It is the God of the universe that has come down to save his people. And that is good news. And so the shepherds hear that good news for the first time. And then the angel gives them some instructions. Go and find this child. Wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Here's what to look for. Go and find him. And then before this angel leaves, he's joined by a bunch of other angels and they sing a little song. It says, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. God's favor toward men. And it'd be easy to skip this part right now. Like, oh, that sounds nice. Let's move on. But once again, there's so much packed into here that is important for us to hear. So this first part. Glory to God in the highest. Don't breeze over that. Too often we think of that, yeah, that's a nice way to start a song or a verse or a prayer or something. We don't really know what it means, though. But once again, this is so important. God's glory is so important. This is important for this message here because this is what it's all about. God doing this work, him working, him speaking, it's all about his glory. Glory to God in the highest. In fact, our whole lives, everything we do, should be about the glory of God. As you read through your Bible, look for how often God's glory is mentioned. One of my favorite verses is Romans 5.2, which is, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Which is saying that my rejoicing, my celebrating in this life, is in the hope that God will be glorified, that God will be made known, that, that I will see his majesty and his splendor and his greatness, that I will know that about him. That is where my greatest fulfillment is going to come from. But not only that, but actually that all the earth would know how great our God is. That is when I am most satisfied. That is when I have the most joy. And I'll be honest with you, I don't always believe that. I struggle with it sometimes. I, I try to find my joy and my hope in other things, but it's never going to satisfy like that satisfies. Truly knowing the glory of God and everyone knowing the glory of God is what it is all about, and that is where I find my greatest joy. 
That's why we sing. That's why we praise God. That's why in a little bit the choir is going to sing a song called Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Glory to God in the highest. In uh, Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is described as the radiance of the glory of God. So, glory be to God because he has sent his glory to the earth as one of us to live with us and to die for us. Glory be to God in the highest. That's the first part of that phrase. But then the second one, it's a little tricky. Your different translations will put it differently and we can get a little confused by it. So I want to give you the gist of it right now. What it's saying is peace on earth and God's goodness toward mankind. What it's not saying is God's favor towards those who deserve it, because that would be nobody. This is God's undeserved favor toward mankind, toward us who do not deserve it. And then we get that phrase, peace on earth. And It sounds nice, right? We talk about Christmas, peace on earth. Oh, this is wonderful. This baby boy came to bring peace on earth. But if you think about it a little bit more, you're kind of confused. Because you kind of feel like, okay, where's the peace? There is no peace on earth, I said. And we're wondering what happened. Because Jesus didn't really bring lasting peace when he came. And and even today, there's still war going around. And we think that peace comes, the way that peace comes is if we all just get along. And everybody, come on, let's just all get along. Everybody will be happy. We'll have peace. That'll be great. But the unpopular opinion is that actually peace comes through war, unfortunately. And this child was born to make war. And he did. He declared war on sin and death. And he fought until death itself claimed him. But it could not hold him. No, he rose again to victory, defeating death for the forgiveness of our sins so that we wouldn't have to die, but we could have life with him forever. And so here we are today, not fighting for victory, but fighting from victory. And we're told that we have a peace that surpasses understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we do have peace, and we look forward to the day when he comes back again, to the second advent, when he will bring peace through his rule and his reign over all the earth. So he is the prince of peace. He is the God of peace who has come to make peace for all of us. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. God's goodness, God's favor towards us who do not deserve it. So they sing this song, and you can imagine the shepherds, they leave, the, the, the angels leave, and the shepherds are standing there with their mouths open, their eyes wide, wondering what in the world has just happened. And we're left with a question, what will they do? What will those shepherds do? What will you do in light of what you've just seen and heard? Let's read verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured these things and pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What do they do? Well, there's a few things going on here that they do. They, they go and they look for this child that the, the shepherds had told them. You'll find him lying, uh, swaddled in cloths and lying in a manger. And so they go and they look. They go and they find this child. And what do they do? They tell all that they have seen and heard, what the Lord has made known to them. They tell God's truth to the people around them. First to Mary and Joseph. And then it's clear here that they, they go out and they tell other people around as well. They tell God's truth to those people. What will you do? Will you tell God's truth? Will you tell this great news to the people around you? Even if it is an offensive message, will you tell them what God has done? So the shepherds tell these people, and there's a couple different responses. The first one is it says that the people wondered. They, they marveled. They were surprised, shocked, interested they were, they were thinking about these things. They were surprised. What, what are they talking about? What is going on? And you can imagine even trying to share this news with somebody. It's, it's a little fantastical, isn't it? Like, I would be worried as a shepherd, like, nobody's going to believe me. What I've just seen, like, why would they believe me? And yet they're still compelled to go and to tell, and people are surprised. They're marveled at this wonderful news. And that's a good thing. Let people wonder. This message should be surprising, should be interesting, and people should wonder. Because if they're wondering, they're thinking about it. They're, they're responding to it. They're engaging with it. They're wondering, what has God done? Let the people wonder. But then we see what somebody else, how somebody else responds as well, Mary. Mary hears these things. And it says that she treasured these things up and pondered them in her heart. That, that word treasure there, it means to protect, to preserve. You can imagine her, her thinking, maybe you've thought this before, I, I want to remember this moment. That's what she's thinking. I want to remember this moment. And I can imagine several years later, her standing on that hill, looking up at her son being crucified on the cross. And she's remembering these things. She's remembering the day that he was born and all that was said about him. She treasures these things in her heart. And we should too. Treasure what God treasures. Treasure his word. Ponder it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Remember these things. That is a right response. So they go and tell God's truth. Some people wonder. Mary treasures these things. And then lastly, well, the shepherds go back to work. They've got sheep to take care of. But they're not the same. It says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They go back to work and they worship. And that is such an appropriate response to all they have seen and heard is to worship Glory to God in the highest. To worship this glorious, wonderful God and all that he has done and said that night. And that should be our response as well. From all that we've seen, all that we've heard this morning, to worship him. And it's wonderful because in a few minutes we're going to get a chance to do that, to worship again in song. And I'm, I'm very thankful for the way that our church organizes our services. There's some churches... And no offense to them, maybe you've even been to them before, but they put all of their worship and song at the beginning. 
It says to prepare your heart to hear God's word. And then after God's word is shared, after the sermon, it's over. You go home. But I love that we get to also respond in worship, in song. We, we prepare our hearts to hear God's word, but then we also respond as we worship. And we're going to get a chance to do that in a few minutes. So we saw what the shepherds did, but what will you do in light of this good news of great joy for all people, this message of salvation, this message of this child that was born, the, the rescuing chosen king of all kings has come and he is born. And as we know, as we see in the rest of scripture, he will grow up to live a perfect life, the life that we could never live and die the death that we should have died. And he did that all for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be one with God again. And if you believe in him, if you believe in what God has done through Jesus, then you can have eternal life. You can be restored and be with God again. And that is the best news that we've ever heard. That is the greatest news in all the earth. And that should compel us to worship, to thanks, to give thanksgiving, to adore this great God who has done so much for us who did not deserve Would you join me as we worship again this morning? Lord, we thank you, God, for all that you have done. We saw this morning that you were working, bringing all of these things together so that it would happen just the way and at just the time that it was supposed to happen. And then, God, you shared your plan of salvation with us. This child would be so much more than just an earthly warrior king, but that he would be a rescuer, the rescuing chosen king of all kings, that he was so much more than what people thought he would be, that he was your son that you sent as a gift to us to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, I pray that as we think about that this morning, as we treasure those things up, as we wonder at this, that it would compel us to worship you and then to go tell all the world about it, Lord, that we would be compelled to share your truth, your good news with the people around us so that they would know, that they would celebrate, that they would rejoice in your glory as well. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.